It's a pleasure to speak to you all from the Living Church of God headquarters in Charlotte. Uh, We have the spring holy days upon us, and what a blessing it is to understand what the holy days picture and to learn lessons from observing and keeping the holy days. The title of the sermon today is A More Excellent Sacrifice. A More Excellent Sacrifice. Let's begin by quickly reminding ourselves uh, what the Days of Unleavened Bread represent. And this is not a new uh, scripture for any of you, I, I, I hope. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as we begin the sermon today. And let's remind ourselves of some of the spiritual lessons that we are to take away from and learn from observing and keeping the spring holy days, the Passover, and the Days of Unleavened Bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we have here where Paul is talking about a problem in the Corinthian church where there was sexual immorality. And in verses 2 and 3, he talks about how they became puffed up. So the sin of sexual immorality was terrible and is terrible. But there was another sin here where we had the the church and some of them in the church uh, who were puffed up. We had in the Corinthian church the situation where they were glorying uh, in, in their acceptance and their, their permitting of these, these, this sinful attitude, this rebellious um, uh, attitude, and, and the act of, of the sexual sin, which again was terrible. And then Paul makes the point that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, therefore purge out the old leaven, that, that the church, that they could become a new lump, a, a righteous lump, a, a lump that uh, is is uh, honorable before God. So we are uh, thinking about the lessons that we can learn from the days of, of unleavened bread, the, the spring holy days, the Passover, and we are to keep the feast. We are to keep the days of unleavened bread holy, as it says here in verse 8. Uh, very straightforward, uh, keep the feast, but but not with an old wrong attitude, not with pride, not with malice, not with with, with wickedness but instead with sincerity and truth. Brethren, this is a principle that we understand. Uh, We've had ministers uh, talk about um, this example here from Corinthians for for decades. I grew up in God's church, and it was a blessing that I did, and I remember this, this passage from my youth. And one of the lessons here is that we are to examine ourselves and get rid of pride and learn the lessons of, of humility and of repentance. So with that introduction, I would like to ask us, uh, ask you three questions, have us consider uh, three questions that we will then go through and discuss in the course of the sermon today. The first question is, we're going to look uh, back in Exodus, we're going to look at an example uh, from Exodus, and, and I want to, us to ask ourselves, as we consider the lessons that we need to learn during the spring holy days, Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread, the first question is, have we learned the lessons from the Exodus? Not going to go through the entire Exodus account, but have we learned the lessons from the Exodus? Specifically, that would apply to us uh, in how we, 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 we keep the days of unleavened bread and how we grow in humility and hopefully in righteousness and lawfulness and obedience and in love for, for one another uh, during the days of unleavened bread. Second question is, do we understand the sin of Cain. Do we understand the sin of Cain? And also, how does that apply to the days of unleavened bread and the Passover? And I'm sure that you can you can think of how it would apply. But there are lessons from 
the, 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 the bad example of Cain. And there are lessons from the episode recorded uh, where, where Cain murdered his brother Abel. So the first question is, have we learned the lessons from the Exodus as relates to the Days of Unleavened Bread? The second question is, do we understand the sin of Cain? And the third question, and, and the first two sort of lead us to this, is do we understand the importance of practicing godly love? Do we understand the importance of practicing godly love? And I think you'll see that if we can understand the lessons from these uh, these first two events, the Exodus and Cain, that that will lead us to understanding the importance of godly love, and not just in some general way, but love for God as 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 our God, love for His law, and love for each other. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter eleven. This is another scripture that we are familiar with, I hope, and this uh, is the faith chapter. Uh, it's recorded that faith is the substance of things that are hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Uh, by it, the elders obtained a good testimony and so forth. And then we come down to verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He offered a more um, excellent sacrifice than Cain offered. We're going to talk about that sacrifice today. We're going to talk about Cain's sacrifice or his offering and Abel's offering. And uh, what was what was wrong with with Cain's offering? You you may be a little bit uh, you may learn something. Uh, you may be a little bit surprised about what was wrong with Cain's offering. Uh, it's not sometimes what what some people uh, think. And um, so 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 that 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 is 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 recorded for us here in Hebrews that that from the beginning of time, some of the first human beings, uh, their example is for us today. And that Abel's excellent sacrifice is a witness. Now, what, what about it was the witness? Was it just the, the produce or was it something more profound? And you, you of course, know it, it, there's something more profound to it. Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Cain and Abel offered sacrifices uh, that we can learn lessons from. There's, of course, the Exodus, and we're going to review that uh, briefly, and we can learn lessons from that. But we are living sacrifices. We are supposed to be. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, uh, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, does this just mean that we're supposed to take care of our health? Uh, yes, we are. Our, our bodies are the, 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 the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are supposed to take care of our health. God gave us health laws and, and therefore our good. But uh, no, this is much beyond just physical uh, pre- presentation of our of our bodies in, in a healthy way. Uh, what God is talking about here is that we are to be holy and acceptable, and that there is a reasonable service that He expects from us. A reasonable service is a work; it's an attitude, a way of life, a, a mindset; it's a way of living. So we are to be living sacrifices, as as we understand. So. Are we learning the lessons from the Exodus, the lessons from Cain and Abel, so that we can become and live as as worthy sacrifices? Uh, brethren, wouldn't it be an honor if God were to tell future generations about our witness, our living sacrifice? And is that far-fetched? Absolutely not. We have in, in Hebrews the recording of, of Abel. Uh, he's a witness down through the generations. And, and Abel will probably be, in uh, Scripture indicates, in the first resurrection, and hopefully will be in the first resurrection. But only if we've learned the lessons 
that Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread are intended to help us learn uh, about humility and and sacrifice and the way of give and so forth. So let's let's move into the um, into the body of the sermon today and let's let's consider these lessons and and that leads us to question number three, which is are we practicing godly love? And that's a big topic in in and of itself. <clears throat> when Israel left Egypt, so first first um, first point. Have we learned the lessons of the Exodus as relates to the Days of Unleavened Bread? Here we are uh, observing the Days of Unleavened Bread. Have we learned the lessons from the Exodus? So Exodus chapter 12, God is uh, revealing the, the, the Passover here. And we're going to begin in verse verse um, verse 15. So the uh, in verse um, 15, uh, we, we, we break into the, 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 the instruction about the Days of Unleavened Bread. And uh, this is this is uh, before you know they, they leave Egypt, um, and so this is uh, be- before the last plague. And God says through uh, through Scripture, verse fifteen: Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. So God's instituting the the um, some of the practices that we are to observe that they were to observe uh, during one of His seven annual holy days. And of course, the days of unleavened bread are a seven day period. And so, but we, we, we must always ask ourselves why and what are the lessons we are to learn from these, these instructions. So God reveals in verse 15 that whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And that's instruction for us to remember today. Uh, we are to not eat leavened bread during these, these seven days. Um, instead, uh, notice in verse 15, we are to eat unleavened bread because there, there's lessons. God wants us to, to learn lessons. And then verse 16, on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. So you have a, a, a high day, a Sabbath on the first day of unleavened bread. No manner of work should be done. We, we, we need to keep the first day of unleavened bread holy. It's a Sabbath. Now, we are to not work. We are not to do our chores and so forth. Uh, verse 17, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on the same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Now, notice that God's giving Israel the instructions here uh, to keep the, the days of unleavened bread before they have left Egypt. So this is before they have left. Uh, and and he, he explains that it's the first in the first month on the 14th day of the month at the evening. You shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month uh, for seven days. No leaven. He repeats in verse 19. No leaven shall be found in your houses. We understand that e- eating unleavened bread pictures. Uh, God's law, putting in righteousness, pictures um, our trying to you know feed on Christ uh, through His law. We also understand that eating unleavened bread, I'm sorry, eating leavened bread uh, during the, this time, and, and eating leavened bread during the rest of the year is fine. But during this time, then the uh, the leaven would, would um, symbolize sin and, and vanity. And that, and that we are to not eat leavened bread. We are to get rid of, of that. God wants us to focus on righteousness and humility and so forth. So those were the instructions that God gave Israel, some physical instructions, but for spiritual reasons, for spiritual reasons. Now, we'll fast forward a little bit, and let's turn to Exodus chapter 33, because I don't want to spend a lot of time in the Exodus account. Um, we all know that um, that Israel complained and murmured and and eventually, you know, got, so there was the death of the firstborn. There was the the Exodus, um, you know, the Passover occurred, then there was the Exodus, and then they went out, and then there was the night to be observed or remembered. 
And so God brought them out, and we know that that Israel had a, a long history of, of of stubbornness and rebellion and so forth. So I don't want to go through all of that. Uh, we come down to Exodus chapter 33. This is right after the, the golden calf incident uh, where they were at Mount Sinai, and um, God had given them, uh, God had given um, uh, Moses the uh, the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> so Exodus chapter 33. Notice what Christ. Uh, reveals here. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, "Depart and go up from there." So this is after all the mighty, mighty signs and and, and God saving Israel. And He says, um, "The people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it." Verse two, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and so forth. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. You are stiff-necked people. Verse 4, when they heard this, they mourned, and, and you know, they, they, they mourned, and, um, and, and so forth. So, so verse 5, for the Lord had said to Moses, so they mourned, because the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. Israel had a problem with humility. Israel had a problem with keeping God's law. Israel had a problem with paganism. But Israel had other problems too. They had a problem uh, with truly loving God. And frankly, they had a problem with loving each other. When, when you look through the account and, and how some Israelites wanted to go into sin and they were trying to entice others into sin, uh, when you look at the account of the golden, uh, what happened at the time of the golden calf, um, there was, uh, there were many Israelites who had the attitude of, of hatred not only toward God, but hatred toward their brother, hatred toward their brother. And so, learning the lessons of humility, learning the lessons of 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 fearing God, of of loving God and loving our brother, uh, these are all intertwined. These are all uh lessons that God wants us to learn during the days of unleavened bread and during the Passover season and that he wants us wants us to practice uh all year long. Uh we cannot be we cannot claim that we are humble before God but hate our brother. We cannot claim that we love God but but then break God's law. We cannot claim that we love our brother but we profane the Sabbath. All of these uh the, the these are related. And so Israel was in such a bad state that God said, I'm not going to be in your midst. I'm not going to be in your midst. And Israel mourned because of that, because they were stiff-necked. So we know uh, in verse 13, 14, we have Moses who continually intercedes for Israel, and he begs Christ to go with them. Notice verse 12, 13, 14. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know uh, whom you will send with me. So Moses is, is pleading with God for some for some 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 help, some some mercy. And um he says, I know you by name, but you've also found grace uh in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, this is Moses speaking to God, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14, and so the eternal, the, the Lord, and, and, th- and this is a conversation with the pre-incarnate uh, Christ, okay? So um, then he, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord, the eternal said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God is always uh, merciful and patient 
and Moses asked God for extra help, and God was willing to do it because of Moses' humility. Let's notice verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you. Moses, you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Brethren, do we want to be the general congregation of of Israel, um, whom God shows mighty signs to, does mighty works for, brings them out of, 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 of captivity? Uh, but yet we still murmur and, and we, we lack faith and we, we fight amongst ourselves? Or do we want to have the attitude of Moses? Do we want to be the carnal Israelites or Moses? Um, look at the power that Moses um, um, had because that power came from his love for God and God's relationship with him. That's true power. True power is submission to God fear of God, a relationship with God, and God then living in us, God then giving us the fruits of the Spirit, God helping us to have more faith, to build more faith. Now, that's, 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 that's power, the power to overcome self, the power to overcome our own hatred towards others, the power to overcome doubt, the power to resist temptation, the power to resist idolatry, the power to keep God's law, the power to be humble the power to be humble. Israel continually failed to understand what that power was. The power that they sought later, you know, remember later, they wanted a king to rule over them. They looked at the carnal nations around them, and they looked uh, at, at, at the carnal kings and the carnal uh, armies, and, and those weren't God's kings and God's armies and God's nations. We want real power. We want the power that comes from God living in us. And that power is a result of humility. Moses is called the most humble man that had ever lived. And look at that power. Look at that power. He interceded for Israel to God, who said, I'm not going to go with you and be in your midst. And God answered Moses' request. Uh, it's, 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 it's something to meditate on. You know, who has the most power? <clears throat> some little old widow or, or some, um, you know, uh, widower, some, some, um, some person that, that maybe doesn't have a lot of prestige in the world. Maybe they're not wealthy. Maybe they're not young. Maybe they're not athletic. Maybe they are, they're not muscular. Maybe they don't have a, you know, a, a, a high paying job or somebody who's humble before God. The prayers of the elderly, the prayers of the widows and the widowers uh, in, in the church of God <clears throat> have power. Now, I'm not saying that all of the widows are perfect, and I'm not saying that all of the elderly are perfect. We all have to overcome. But brethren, it's, it's a question for us to ask ourselves. Are we learning the lessons from the Exodus? Humility. Seeking God and his presence and, and wanting to obey him, wanting to serve him. Uh, Moses uh, is 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 our example. Moses um, had that uh, that heart that was humble, and so he interceded for the people, and God um, answered him. And so let's um, let's let's continue though. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but let's um, let's go back actually to Exodus chapter twenty four. I want to make a different uh, a related point, but let's go back in the story to Exodus twenty four and verse seven. 
Exodus 24, verse 7. We have um, Israel at the mountain, and and um, and Moses um, is uh, is God's going to confirm the covenant with with Israel and with Moses. So Exodus chapter twenty four, and notice here in verse verse uh, we'll just pick up the story in verse six. So Moses is doing these offerings, and Moses took the blood of the bull, I'm sorry, the blood, and put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And um, then Moses took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. If Israel really would have followed through on that, on that commitment, then Christ would have never said to them, I'm not going to be in your midst. And so we, if we have been baptized, we made a commitment with God. Uh, we, we renew that commitment daily in prayer. At the Passover uh, season, we we remember uh, that the, the the Christ sacrifice and and our baptism commitment during the days of unleavened bread, we practice uh, uh, feeding on Christ and and hopefully learning the lessons of humility and 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 getting rid of arrogance and so forth, like Paul talked to the Corinthians about. Uh, we've made a covenant with God as well, haven't we? And before we move on to our next big point, I just want to remind us that it's easy to say the words. But it's often harder to live the life, isn't it? So we had, um, you know, Israel say, "Yeah, we'll do it," and we have said, "We'll do it," right? And and I and I know that we're sincere and and uh, we we want to obey God, but it's harder to to live the life than it is to say the words. So let's learn the lessons of the Exodus and let's have the attitude of Moses, not the attitude of the average carnal Israelites. Humility is key. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Cain and Abel now. Cain and Abel. Uh, there, there, there's some interesting lessons from um, from uh, the the uh, the offerings. So before we we uh, we go back to Genesis and read that story, let's turn to Philippians uh, two, Philippians chapter two, because I want to give us a remind us of a few principles uh, regarding attitude that uh, that that God's looking for. And, uh, this is, um, very relevant to the, the, uh, the sacrifices that Cain and Abel brought before God and why God found one sacrifice acceptable and another sacrifice not acceptable. So let's turn to Philippians chapter two. And uh, I believe it's verse, uh, eight. Philippians 2, 8, um, where Christ, we, Paul reveals that Christ found himself in appearance as a man and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Now, we have this, uh, again, obedience and humility. Israel said back in Exodus 24, we will be obedient. They weren't obedient. They weren't humble. Christ was perfectly obedient, perfectly humble. We are to be like Christ. We are to be more like Moses, not like the carnal Israelites. What does this have to do with Cain and Abel? I think you probably know, but I want to remind ourselves of of the fact that we are living sacrifices, as it says in Romans. Uh, Humility is what God is looking for, as we see from Christ's example in Philippians. 
Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians and again, remind ourselves of the principle. Before we go, it's a wonderful story. It really happened. It's true. It's not, um, you know, just a, um, uh, a fable, uh, what happened between Cain and Abel. But before we go back to that, that account, let's remind ourselves of the spiritual, uh, what, what, what's spiritually important. Uh, that, 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 that's the reason that God recorded the, the, uh, the, these offerings and, and when Cain murdered, uh, Abel. It's for us to learn spiritual lessons. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Uh, we have in verse 27, uh, we're to examine ourselves as we come into the Passover season. Uh, are you, and we're going to come back to this later, but, but are we able to keep the Passover in a worthy manner? Verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. When we examine ourselves, can we say before God that we are, uh, that we have attitudes like Christ or attitudes like Moses, humble, or do we still harbor bitterness? Do we, do we, do we have vanity? Do we have animosity toward, toward others, toward someone? Uh, Jesus Christ wants us to be a, a, a living sacrifice that's acceptable. He wants us to be a witness. Remember how in Hebrews, uh, it's recorded that Abel was a, a, a witness, a good witness. And that's what, what God wants from us. So, uh, we, we really, uh, in a way, brethren, we come back to these two ways of life. There's the way of give, the way of obeying God's law, the way of love, and there's the way of get and the way of murder and the way of Satan. And Mr. Weston um, wrote an article in the Living Church News recently that I want to, to, to quote from as we transition into talking about Cain and Abel. Uh, he wrote an article, The Way of Cain. Excellent article. I'm sure most of you have read that. Maybe go back and, and review that again. He wrote uh, this about, about, uh, about, uh, uh, about Mr. Armstrong and, and the way of give and way of get. Mr. Weston wrote, he, referring to Mr. Armstrong, explained that there are two ways of life. And so Mr. Weston was using uh, Cain and Abel as examples. And then he brings in how Mr. Armstrong taught the church all those years about two ways of life, the way of the get way and the give way. Mr. Weston continues, the first way is expressed through selfishness. It is self-centered, concerned only for number one. Now, if we practice the way of give, not the way of get, then we we please God. If we practice the way of give, not the way of get, uh, there are spiritual laws that we're fulfilling, spiritual benefits. There are even health benefits that we're fulfilling, so or that we're going to benefit from. So uh, before uh, we we go to the story, because you know the story of Cain and Abel, let me share a piece of of uh, research with you. There was a Time uh, article that came out a couple years ago, 2016, and researchers followed uh, a, a, a number of participants for 20 years, and they were studying the, the, the positive health effects of when people give and serve, when they practice the way of give. And they, they, it, the article even touched on, and the study touched on, when people, frankly, were willing to be humble and, and, and serve. I don't want to uh, spend too much time on, on that study. And, and what the Time article, uh, and this, is, this was published December 27, 2016, um, what it found was, quote, that people who occasionally watched and cared for others lived longer than people who didn't. So there are not only spiritual um, laws that we're fulfilling and, and we're uh, pleasing God, but there are there are physical benefits if we uh, live a way of give and not live a way of get. If we live a way of loving 
uh, God and loving our fellow man and not live a way of, of, of arrogance and hatred. So with that introduction, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4, and let's talk a little bit about Cain and Abel and when, when Cain murdered uh, Abel. Genesis chapter 4. And one of the reasons I wanted to uh, introduce Cain and Abel the way I did was it's not just a story about murder. It's, it's a story about two different ways of life. It's a story about um, a way of being a Christian, uh, being like Christ, humility and obedience, being like Moses, who was humble before God and, and changed God's mind. And God said, okay, Moses, because of you and how much I love you and how humble you are, I will be with you. I will be with you and help you with the people. Or a way of vanity and, and arrogance and hardness of heart and, and a way of Satan. It's the way of give versus the way of get that Mr. Armstrong talked about. It's, it, there, there, it's, it's the two trees that Mr. Armstrong talked about. It's the way of Cain or the way of, of Christ or, or to a lesser extent Abel that Mr. Weston talked about. So let's, let's review the story, the account in uh, Genesis 4. And remember I, I said earlier, we're going to talk about what was wrong with the sacrifice of Abel's sacrifice, of Cain's sacrifice. Um, so <clears throat> verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore uh, Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the uh, firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. So Abel brings um, a first, the firstborn of his flock and their fat. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. It says God did not respect Cain or his offering. And if we have time, we'll turn to Luke chapter 18, where you have the parable of the unrepentant Pharisee, where God said that that guy with the bad attitude and the arrogant attitude, he left and he was not justified. You cannot come before God at the Passover season or in prayer on your knees in the morning with a a hateful, spiteful attitude toward your brother, your wife, your sister, your mom, your dad, your cousins, your brothers or sisters in Christ, and be acceptable to God. That is the lesson from Cain and Abel. One of the lessons from Cain and Abel. Cain hated his brother. Cain hated his brother, just like the Pharisee in Luke 18 uh, hated his brother as well. Not in as a personal, intimate way, but arrogance is hatred. Vanity is hatred, and hatred is murder. And God did not respect Cain because of his attitude or his offering or his prayer. Cain could have brought, you know, every plant and every animal he owned. You cannot purchase God's love or forgiveness. We cannot earn God's grace. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn forgiveness of sins. It was the attitude. He was not humble before God. And so the Lord said to Cain, so, so Cain you know, was upset and his countenance fell because God didn't accept it. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, we have to keep God's law. But if you do well, are you doing well, brethren? During the spring holy day season, are you doing well? Are you keeping God's Sabbath holy? 
The Sabbath starts at sunset Friday night. It goes through sunset Saturday night. Are we keeping the Sabbath holy or are we cutting corners? Are we being holy in our tithes and offerings or are we cutting corners? Are we being holy in fidelity toward our wife or are we cutting corners? Are we being holy in loving God and loving our neighbor or are we cutting corners? There's, you know, there's some aspect of, of submitting to God's law that I'm going to cut corners on. Or there's some aspect of being a peaceable person with, with my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm going to, to, to cut corners on. Are we doing well? If not, then, uh, you know, don't want to be offensive, but we're either leaning towards the way of Cain or we're leaning towards the way of Abel, who was a witness through the generations, as it says in Hebrews. So, <clears throat> anyways, God says, if you um, do well, you'll be accepted. If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. Israel said they would do well at the Exodus. Remember Exodus 24? But they, they didn't. It's easy to talk the talk, but it's hard to live the life. It's hard to live the life. God wants us to be living sacrifices. And that means he wants us to be humble and he wants us to be kind. And he wants us to keep his law. He wants us to obey his, whole, his, his law, keep the Sabbath and holy days. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. So Hosea, Joel Amos, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Are you merciful with your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your dad, your mom, your minister? <laughs> Ministers aren't always perfect, and we need mercy too. Um, <clears throat> are we growing in knowledge, knowledge of God's law, practicing God's law, keeping God's law? But that's what God desires. Uh, you can't you know, count rosaries and get some sort of forgiveness of sins by counting rosaries or, or putting coins in the, uh, you know, the offering box and, and getting, and get some sort of forgive, forgiveness of sins. Uh, Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine. And so the, during the days of unleavened bread, these are, these are things we need to think about. Humility, living a life of sacrifice, a life of obedience. Uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse 13. Uh, but I go, this is Christ talking, I go, but, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then Christ continues. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that can be misunderstood sometimes because uh, there's none that are, are, are 100% righteous. There's none that are, are completely righteous. So all of us have been sinners. And all of us from time to time still fall short of the law, don't we? And so Christ is, he, he wants to, he's, he has called us, he's working with us, and he wants us to be in his kingdom. But that takes humility on our part. It takes um, self-analysis, which Paul talks about in Corinthians. It takes getting rid of the, uh, the, the leaven of malice. Uh, it takes getting rid of the leaven of, 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 of pride. Uh, these are some of the lessons of the days of unleavened bread and the Passover that we need to be learning. And this is some of the lessons that we can learn from uh, Cain and Abel. <clears throat> Let's uh, go back to 
um, to Genesis chapter 4. Just a little bit more of the story there. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Genesis 4 verse, let's see, we, we left around 5 or 6, so we'll pick up in verse 7. Uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not uh, do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should, but you should rule over it. You need to rule over, you know, uh, you know, practice self-control and, and overcome. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. So God corrects uh, Cain, and Cain doesn't he, he doesn't learn, does he? And so so Cain talked with Abel, his brother. They're out in the field, and and Cain rose up against his against Abel's brother and killed him, and killed him. God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice because God was not pleased with Cain's attitude, and Cain's attitude was a spirit of hatred, which developed into actual murder, and so God was very aware of the fact that sin lied at the door of Cain because of his way of thinking. And God was very aware that when Israel, when he brought Israel out of Egypt, that sin lied at their door because they, because of their thinking, their hardness of heart. And that was, again, that was one reason why God said, look, I'm not going to dwell, I'm not going to go in their midst. And then Moses intervened and God through his mercy said, okay, Moses, because of you. And again, this was the, the pre-incarnate Christ. God understands, brethren, that if we don't every year learn more and more the lessons of humility, of fearing God's law, of getting rid of the sins of malice toward others, of getting rid of the sins of, you know, again, pride. God understands that sin lies at the door. And God understands that that, that path is, is a path that leads toward murder. Maybe not physical murder, but hatred. And those who have malice and hatred are not learning the lessons of Cain and Abel. They're not learning the lessons of the Exodus. They're not emulating Moses, and they're surely not emulating Jesus Christ. And they surely, we surely, if we don't overcome malice and hatred, will not be in the kingdom of God. And if we cut any corners in God's law, if we're unrepentant, we will not be in the kingdom of God. If we are vain, we will not be in the kingdom of God. The Corinthian church was condoning this terrible sexual sin that they were unrepentant of. And with that attitude of pride and, and, and putting something uh, that, that the popular culture approves above what God's law says, we will not be in the kingdom of God. Consider today, LGBT and homosexuality and all that stuff is being pushed down the throats of society. Uh, if you condone that, then you will not be in the kingdom of God. If you have somebody practicing that, that you're aware of, you should not hate them. But that does not mean we condone it. Even if that's um, politically incorrect, we must fear God more than we fear man. It is prideful to say, I'm going to go with society and society's opinion and not God's opinion. Did Moses do that? Moses was surrounded by all the Israelites. We live in the world, right? Some of you watching this may live in France or South Africa or Germany or Canada or wherever. 
You live where you live. You're surrounded by people in the world. Moses lived in the world with the nation of Israel. And he feared God and loved God more than he loved or feared their, uh, their, the, the physical nation's opinion or their, um, you know, uh, wanting their, their, uh, their, their favor. To fear people or fear um, anything more than God is, is pride. It is pride. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We have the account of the Pharisee who was unrepentant. Now, brethren, I do not think that we all walk around through life being unrepentant. I, I don't think that at all. Uh, but the spring holidays are a day, are, are times to examine ourselves. And so we have really a parallel to what happened with Cain and Abel. It's very, very similar to what happened with Cain and Abel. Cain went up with a sacrifice, uh, an offering. Technically, it was an, it was an offering. And, um, and his attitude was wrong, and God didn't accept it. Here we have in, in, in Luke 18, uh, verse 9, we have the Pharisee. He goes up. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's with an offering, right? We are living sacrifices. And so the Pharisee goes up. And uh, two men are in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. When you get up in the morning and you pray or at noon or afternoon and, and later in the evening and you pray, uh, are, are we the Pharisee or are we the tax collector? Are we Moses or are we Israel? Are we Cain or are we Abel? And so the Pharisee stands up. You, you know the account. And he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and so forth. I fast and I get ties. But he wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. The Pharisee was prideful. The Pharisee probably, because he was very carnal attitude, brethren. So the Pharisee probably had hatred towards, you know, others that he felt were, were worse than him. And for all we know, maybe he was an adulterer. Maybe he did steal. Who knows? The, the Pharisee was carnal. Um, the tax collector, he wouldn't even raise his eyes. He was humble. And he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, as Dr. Meredith would often remind us. And so, you know, uh, the rest of the account, Christ says, I tell you, this man, the, the humble tax collector, he went down justified rather than the other. Why was Moses able to interact with Christ? He was humble. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice? He was humble. Are we humble? The days of unleavened bread are about learning humility. <clears throat> Mr. Armstrong wrote in the booklet, Why, Why Were You Born? He wrote about these two different attitudes. He often talked about the way of give and the way of get. And I remember that as a teenager, uh, his sermons about the way of give or the way of get. And Mr. Armstrong said, there are two basic ways in life. And this is in the booklet, um, what, why, uh, why Were You Born? <clears throat> two different, uh, two divergent philosophies. They travel in opposite directions. I state them very simply. One is the way of give and the other get. More specifically, the one is the way of humility and out, of outgoing concern for others uh, equal uh, to self-concern. So our concern for others would be equal to, to our own concern. It is the way of po- cooperation. Serving, helping, sharing of consideration, patience, and kindness. More importantly, it is the way of obedience to, reliance on, and worship solely toward God. It is the God-centered way. 
of love toward God and love toward neighbor. The opposite is the self-centered way of vanity, lust, greed of competition, strife, envy, jealousy, and unconcern for the welfare of others. Few realize, Mr. Armstrong continues, this vital fact, the give way is actually an invisible yet inexorable spiritual law and active motion. It is summarized in principle by the Ten Commandments. And brethren, I would say to you that that study that Time uh, reported a couple years ago about how Older people who serve and take care of other older people, they're humble, they give, they, they go visit other people in, in, um, in, uh, you know, old folks homes or they, or they just serve, uh, you know, family and so forth. They're practicing the way of give. And what Mr. Armstrong wrote here is true in a literal sense. And I'm not saying that you earn salvation and I'm not saying we all have to go out and feel guilty and do 20 hours of community service every day. But what I'm saying is I'm agreeing with Mr. Armstrong, and I'm agreeing with Scripture that there's two ways of life, a way of give and a way of get, a way of lust and greed and vanity, or a way of cooperation and serving and helping and giving to others. And as Mr. Armstrong said, if we have concern for the welfare of others, if we have outgoing concern to others, then we are living a God-centered way of life, and that's he didn't say, use these exact words, but that's pleasing to God. And there are even physical benefits, as the Time article mentioned. You may even uh, live a couple years longer because God's way works. God's law works. And the way of give is expressed in the Ten Commandments, as Mr. Armstrong said. Now, we understand, brethren, that we cannot earn our salvation through keeping the Ten Commandments. No amount of righteousness earns us salvation. Moses' righteousness did not earn him salvation. Uh, However, we still, nonetheless, must strive to obey God's law. But we must do that unlike the Pharisee. We must do it with a humble heart, a humble attitude. God wants it all. He wants us to be living sacrifices, and he wants it all. He wants us to keep his law. He wants us to do it in humility. He wants us to love our fellow man. He wants us to love him. Mr. Ames wrote in a uh, article, uh, must we obey God to be saved? He's referencing Paul and he writes the following. Notice Paul's attitude of obedience. Will God give the Holy Spirit to those who have an attitude of, of, of disobedience? Mr. Ames asks. Mr. Ames answers the question. No, he will not. And that's based on scripture. As Peter plainly stated, we are witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Acts 5, verse 32. Mr. Ames concludes that thought. God will not give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those in an attitude of disobedience. Brethren, the way of Cain or the way of Abel, the way of carnal Israel at the Exodus, and Christ said, I will not be amongst you. Or the way of Moses, God will not give us or allow us to keep the Holy Spirit. He will not live in us through Christ if we practice disobedience. And disobedience comes in many forms. Disobedience can be breaking God's Sabbath. Disobedience can be committing adultery. Disobedience can be lying. Disobedience can be stealing. Disobedience can be coveting. But disobedience can also be hatred. Disobedience can be lusting. Disobedience can be the spirit of murder. God told Cain that sin lied at his door. God did not accept 
Cain's sacrifice because he saw the spirit of competition and strife and hatred that Cain had in his heart toward his brother. And so he did not accept Cain's sacrifice because he did not accept Cain. And then Cain went out. And that attitude uh, became sin, became uh, worse sin. The days of unleavened bread are days to uh, examine ourselves. So that brings us to our conclusion, which is, are we practicing godly love? Godly love is, is, an exp- is, is expressed through give. Godly love is expressed, as Mr. Armstrong wrote, through humility, outgoing concern for others, cooperation, serving, helping, sharing, patience, kindness. And as Mr. Armstrong also said, the way of obedience to, reliance on, and worship solely toward God. No other gods before God. No other laws before his law. Um, God's law says keep the Sabbath. We'll do that. God's law says don't commit adultery. We won't do that. God's law says don't lie. We won't do that. God's law says um, have no other gods before him or don't steal. You know, these are things we will obey. And God's law says that we are to love our brother. <clears throat> we are to love our brother. At the end of the age, brethren, it's going to become harder and harder, I believe, because of society, uh, to live righteous lives. And what do I mean by that? Well, we're, we're, we're bombarded by the news and, and in school and work and, and uh, society and neighbors with all these wrong ideas that come from Satan, with attitudes of hatred and strife. Even the news stirs up hatred and strife. Uh, do not let the attitudes of malice or vanity or hatred or strife take root in, 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 in our hearts or our minds. Paul actually warns in Timothy that that can cause people to stray and leave the church. First Timothy chapter one, first Timothy chapter one and verse five, first Timothy one, verse five. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith. Please pause there for just a second. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Abel approached God with that um, offering, and Scripture indicates that his attitude in his heart was pure. Cain approached God with that offering, and Scripture indicates that his attitude in his heart was not pure. God brought Israel out of Egypt, and Moses, Scripture makes very clear, was humble, and his attitude was pure, and he feared God. But Israel as a whole, their attitude was not, right? It was hard, and they murmured, and they hated each other, and they hated God, and they didn't have faith. We must approach God daily as Abel, as Moses, as Christ, not as Cain, not as the uh, hardened, hardened heart uh, Old Testament Israelites. Verse 6. From which some, in other words, if we turn away from having a, a, a loving heart where we want to keep God's law, if we turn away from having good conscious, consciences, if we turn away from the sincere faith that we are to have, uh, that God is God and his way works and his law works, then the consequence is that we can turn to idle chatter, to idle talk, and we can eventually leave the church, leave the body of Christ. How will that happen? 
it will happen because God will not dwell with people with hard hearts. God will not be in the presence of murmuring Israelites. God will not be in the presence of or dwell with those who have attitudes of strife. That's why Christ told Moses, I'm not going to go with them. That's why in Peter, as Mr. Ames quoted, God God says very clearly through Scripture, you know, my Holy Spirit's available to those who obey, not those who disobey. And when we fall short in our attitudes, we need to repent. God is very merciful, but we need to remember the lessons from uh, from Passover and the Exodus. And some of those lessons are that we are to uh, learn to practice the way of give, the way of love, the way of outgoing concern. That was like Abel. That was like Moses. That was like Christ. Not the way of, of vanity, not the way of selfishness, not the way of pride. That was like Cain. That was like the Pharisee in Luke 18. That was like the murmuring Israelites. Mr. Weston uh, wrote in the Living Church News a couple years ago. He wrote an article titled The Way of Give. And the spring holy days should bring us more closely into a, a way of life and a way of thinking where we want to practice that way of give, that way of outgoing concern that Mr. Armstrong wrote about, that Mr. Weston uh, wrote about. And so Mr. Weston wrote the following, and I think it's a a good, appropriate um, way to wrap up. He wrote, the wage, and this is from page five of of that article uh, in the Living Church News, the way of give, "The the wage we earn when we transgress God's law is death. And we understand that. But eternal life has been made possible because of God's free gift to us. Given when Jesus gave his life in our stead. God purchased us back from death by sacrificing something far more valuable than silver or gold. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 through 19. And this was not a rash decision, Mr. Weston continues. It was all determined from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, verse 8. Now, let me pause, and I'm going to read the rest of what Mr. Weston said in a second. But let me pause. Who is the ultimate example of the way of give? Who is the ultimate example of the way of love? Who is the ultimate example of lawfulness? God the Father. God the Father. Jesus Christ reflects the Father. Jesus Christ was and is perfect. Jesus Christ and the Father are one. God created all through Christ. But the Father gave Christ to die for us. The ultimate giving. And so are we emulating, I asked you earlier, and I asked myself, you know, we need to self-analyze. Are we emulating Abel, Moses, Christ? Are we emulating the Father? Are we emulating the Father, the ultimate giver? Mr. Weston concludes, or the quote, there is no more important message in John 3.16 than this. And you've got the booklet, the John 3.16 booklet. No greater act of love is known to mankind. Brethren, are we becoming an excellent sacrifice? Are we becoming an ex, an excellent sacrifice? 
Have we learned the way of give or are we still practicing a little bit of the way of get? Are we learning humility or do we still have a little pride? Are we learning to fear God or do we still fear a little bit too much society? These are questions that we can ask ourselves uh, as we go through the spring holy days. Have we learned the lessons of the Exodus? Do we understand the sin of Cain? And are we really truly practicing true godly love? If so, then as God said about Abel in Hebrews, we can also be a witness to others. And like Abel, we also can be an excellent sacrifice.